Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Celentano, our business editor, Sharp Smith, our technology editor, and Jim Fryer, our managing editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. The Q1 2022 issue is in production and will be available shortly. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. For more information or to subscribe, visit InsideTowers.com intelligence. So, John, you're going to start us off today. You're going to talk about IHS Towers. Yes, Leslie, IHS Towers is an interesting uh, company uh, uh, formed originally in, uh, in Nigeria as a, a tower code to the mobile carriers. Uh, and then it went public uh, late last year. In its first quarter 2022 earnings call, it indicated that its key operating metrics were all up by double digits on a year-over-year basis across its prime operating markets in Africa, Latin America, and the Middle East. Uh, year-over-year, uh, it grew its tower portfolio by roughly 4,000 sites to 33,275, making it among the top five independent multinational tower companies in the world. Um, it averages about 1.5 tenants per tower, and it has a pending deal with MTN South Africa that involves another 5,700 towers. And once that deal closes, ITHS Towers will own nearly 39,000 towers across 11 countries in, the, in those three continents. Um, the company is really moving on three fronts. Uh, as we reported back in January, it acquired uh, the tower portfolio of, uh, from uh, GTS's SP5 uh, division in Brazil. Uh, that was uh, uh, over 2,100 towers uh, across uh, 25 states in Brazil, giving it a total of um, nearly 6,800 towers in Brazil, making it the third largest independent tower company behind American Tower and SBA Communications. Uh, the company is also in discussions with the uh, mobile operators in e- to acquire uh, all or part of their respective tower portfolios. Uh, in Egypt, most of the tower, most of the mobile carriers still own their own towers, and that base is around twenty-four to twenty-five thousand um, sites. Um, so, uh, IHS has an interest in in becoming one of the independent tower companies in Egypt, and uh, aside from the acquisitions. It could build up to another 5,800 towers over a three-year period following any agreements. The deal with uh, MTN in South Africa, which is supposed to close at the end of the second quarter of uh, 2022, uh, involves um, uh, MTN's portfolio of about 5,700 towers and also involves managed services for another more than 7,000 towers. Uh, IHS is... um, it will be the 70% shareholder of the uh, the acquisition and, and the remaining 30% among equity partners. Uh, 
Uh, the deal was attractive because it came in at around 8.7 times adjusted EBITDA, very modest multiples in this day and age. And um, and as a result, IHS will become the um, the leading independent tower co in Africa. So, um, you know, it, it, the, the company has established itself as the leading tower company in Africa. And um, one of the issues in dealing with this part of the world is that power to many sites, especially in its prime market of Nigeria, um, is that the, the electrical grid is either uh, unreliable or, or unavailable in many instances. And so IHS has undertaken to become a provider of power to its uh, mobile network operator customers. And so it's come up with a, a combination of hybrid solutions that involve diesel generators and solar or um, or some kind of solar uh, combination backing up the grid connection or, or just diesel generator only. Um, and in most cases, it's able to pass along those costs to the customer. Um, it, it has undertaken a plan that's referred to as Project Green, where it's identifying areas where it can further reduce its uh, diesel power consumption. So, you know, the company was upbeat on its guidance going forward for full year 2022. And uh, we're going to keep an eye on it, Leslie, because it's, it's one of the uh, interesting uh, uh, and up and coming um, tower companies in the world. Thank you, John. Jim, you're up next. You're going to tell us something about Verizon. Uh, yes, Leslie, the, uh, the carriers uh, obviously don't do a cookie cutter approach across the, the country as far as what the coverage needs are. Every, every area is different and they adjust accordingly. And Florida uh, is no exception to, to Verizon. They have uh, uh, announced that they are increasing their CapEx spending in the state $150 million over what they had initially budgeted. And um, this is a, a recent adjustment by, by them. Uh, and they said it was based on the increased activity, obviously, uh, that's, that's occurred in, in Florida uh, over the, the past year. And uh, they're saying the increases are coming from, uh, um, and they realize that there's fluctuations in temporary usage down there because of the seasonality and the, the, the tourism, but um, they saw there was kind of a, a, a bed level increase in, in usage across the board uh, on, a, on a yearly basis, particularly, uh, for instance, rush hour traffic uh, usage increased in Miami by 364%, in Orlando by 400%, and um, plus the, the additional because of pandemic conditions, more people working at home, uh, what they call the evolution of the distributed workforce, um, they, that has also increased, increased uh, the amount of usage. So um, they've decided to drop some more money on Florida uh, it, and what they plan on doing over the next two years will include building out more than 3,500 new uh, net, network solutions, quote unquote, and that, the details on that include uh, new macro towers, small cell sites, and repeaters to increase the 4G LTE capacity and their, their coverage. Um, and there, there's also been a couple of big events down there, obviously a little thing called the Super Bowl and uh, Formula One racing in Miami and, and uh, uh, support for first responders 
in, in, in natural disaster recovery efforts. So all in all, it means that uh, Florida needs more attention uh, from, uh, from carriers like Verizon, and uh, they are re responding to that uh, accordingly with, uh, with another 150 mils. So uh, expect to see a little more activity down there than, than normal. All right, thank you, Jim. Sharp, I believe you're going to talk about 5G millimeter use cases. Yes, Leslie, I too have a Verizon story. Uh, the, uh, uh, my, it's actually a couple of stories that come from uh, uh, Qualcomm's uh, 5G uh, conference that they held uh, uh, last week. And uh, I, I found it to be a real interesting uh, mix of uh, of sort of the the what we what we love to cover is the gee whiz, look what look what five G can do, and uh, uh, so uh, a lady named Harsha Viswanathan, who's a senior manager of sports technology and innovation for Verizon, uh, spoke about uh, some of the uh, really cool stuff they're doing at uh, that they did at Formula One. Uh, uh, the Formula One uh, Crypto.com uh, Miami Grand Prix uh, earlier this year and uh, providing fans with multiple angles to watch the, the race from a, uh, a no-touch uh, uh, express shop where they can uh, buy every, everything they want to without uh, uh, actually, uh, you know, pulling even, even pulling out a credit card. Uh, you know, the system knows what you bought and it charges your account. And uh, it's uh, some pretty cool stuff. And they also were using augmented reality uh, to experience uh, other, other th uh, 360 degree uh, camera angles of a concert that was going on at, uh, at the event. So they also talked about uh, NHL. There's an augmented reality application that not only actually shows you where the puck is going, but uh, shows you just how fast the, the puck is going. Uh, considering that I can never actually see the puck when I'm watching NHL, uh, I figure that's, uh, that's gotta be a real bonus for a, for a, a hockey fan. So, uh, so she, was, she was doing, a, I think, a really nice job of showing what, uh, what some of the well, some of the cool things that that uh, Verizon's doing, and and you're going to see this across Verizon's uh, relationships uh, with uh, with all different sports, uh, uh, whether it's football, um, uh, basketball. You know, I, I think they're 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 going to be uh, they're going to be sort of uh, uh, the the cool the cool sports um, uh, wireless service. I think is how they want to be. But you know, as much as we like to talk about you know these uh, these things that are sort of uh, you know cutting edge and and uh, uh, want to get people to uh, to uh, to buy the phones. Well, uh, the other the other side that we, we all worry about is how how are the how are the carriers going to make uh, money off of this? And uh, Philippe Pojanti who's a VP of business development for Qualcomm France, did a really nice job of, uh, of uh, you know, laying out some of the strategies that, uh, that, 
that Verizon is, is going to be using to, uh, to get a return on investment. And uh, the first thing he, he pointed out was that Bell Labs has done a, a study that shows that if they set up 2,000 high-density locations uh, strategically located in a, uh, in, a, in, a, in a town where at least 24% of the subscribers are there on a daily basis, that will provide them a, a ROI in four or five years uh, of at least 55%. Uh, so, uh, you know, they're really thinking carefully about where, where to put these millimeter wave uh, uh, devices so that they can make money off of them. And uh, another uh, very uh, straightforward strategy is to, uh, is to basically, uh, when someone buys a, a ticket to an event, and if they want high-speed uh, internet, which is what they're going to get with millimeter wave, they buy it. They buy a certain ticket, and that that uh, that allows them to uh, to to access the millimeter wave uh, antennas. So that's sort of built into the uh, you know the sort of like do you want fries with that uh, type of uh, of, of uh, thing that uh, retail's been doing forever, and uh, and there's other places where where you can use that where if you're going to be at the mall for an hour and and uh, and the mall's really crowded, which I know malls aren't crowded these days, so there probably needs to be another example. But the place that you're gonna be is going to be uh, super crowded and and the system's getting bogged down. Uh, you can buy an hour pass, two hour pass, a day pass uh, to access millimeter uh, wave antennas to uh, to get the, the throughput that you want. So it's really kind of on demand, that type of thing, and uh, and and would provide them uh, really direct feedback as to whether people want to use it and uh, feedback as to whether they'll pay for it uh, and how much they'll pay for it. Uh, so uh, I, I found this to be interesting just because it's sort of it's really uh, nuts and bolts as to how do you get how do you make your money off of this deployment. And uh, so, yeah, I think monetizing uh, millimeter coverage is, uh, is gonna be critical for the carriers. And, uh, and just hearing that, that there are some, some uh, strategies uh, that, to help them uh, get a revenue stream uh, from, uh, from these, uh, these deployments was really very interesting to me. Yeah, that hockey example sounds really interesting too. Um, it should make an exciting game even more exciting for the fans. So this week, FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr called for the FCC to update the wireless resiliency framework for disasters, the system that carriers followed to uh, speed communications restoration following uh, you know, crises. Right now, the program is voluntary. He has proposed making it mandatory, and he urged quick action, citing the proliferation of wildfires out west and the approach of the 2022 hurricane season. The current framework stems from 2016. I remember when former uh, Chairman Ajit Pai 
uh, was getting the carriers to start doing this and cooperating more after the hurricanes in Puerto Rico. Commissioner Carr recommends that the wireless, he commends the wireless industry for stepping up to the plate back in 2016, but he thinks with the passage of time and experience, it could be improved upon. He called for the expansion of the types of events that would trigger activation of the framework. He also urged the adoption of mandatory roaming. The current agreement enables carriers to roam on one on another provider's network in certain defined situations. And he's talking about uh, relaxing that, it, it, relaxing the, the situations you could roam in, but also making roaming a mandatory part of the agreement. Uh, Carr has traveled to disaster areas over the years to gain experience in the field. We reported that in 2018, he went to the Florida Panhandle after Hurricane Michael, where he spent 48 hours with crews working to restore service. Last September, Carr joined Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel in Louisiana. That was after Hurricane Ida. Officials on the ground described how network outages impacted their ability to respond to calls for help, both during and in the aftermath of the storm. During that trip, the public safety officials lobbied for a more seamless approach to roaming during disasters. So it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens with this. And um, I think you gentlemen are going to a show next week, ConnectX. Yes, Leslie, we will be there. Uh, myself, Sharp, and John will all be there uh, different times, different schedules, and uh, look forward to uh, meeting anybody out there. Uh, hopefully we'll get to reconnect uh, since the uh, since the real live conferencing has been so moribund over the last couple of years. It's, it's going to be good to get out again and, and uh, see everybody. And I'm sure uh, it, it's going to add a lot of, uh, um, lot of energy to the, to the event. So uh, we look forward to it by all uh, indications. It's uh, going to be well attended and, and uh, uh, a lot of great content. So uh, we, we, will, we will see you out there. So gentlemen, I believe you have some sessions on Tuesday and Wednesday. Do you want to tell us a little bit about those? Go ahead, who's whose session is first? Sharp. Okay, mine's first. Okay, um, and what day is that? It's uh it's Tuesday at eight thirty, and uh, it's a uh, it's a panel session on uh, densifying uh, the uh, the networks in urban areas, and we'll be talking about small cells. You know the challenges that uh, that companies have. Uh, uh, that the carriers have had with uh, with deploying uh, the small cells, and uh, and we'll be talking about uh, various various solutions to those uh, those challenges. And uh, uh, and the great thing about that is that covering the industry, it seems like every day I uh, I see an, another another story, another way. Uh, product that the industry is putting together uh, that will lower the cost and increase the uh, speed of, uh, of deployment. So a lot of, a lot of good news in that area. So it should be, uh, it should be a good session.
even though it's at 8.30 in the morning. And John, tell us about your session on Wednesday. It's it's another early bird session at 8.30 uh, uh, on the Wednesday of the conference. Uh, The session is entitled The Neutral Host Opportunity, and we have participants from uh, Crown Castle, SBA Communications, and an engineering firm in in Orsa Wireless. Um, We're going to look at uh, the... um, the, the, the whole notion of a neutral host operator, we've seen it uh, in uh, buildings uh, where uh, an operator would come in and deploy a distributed antenna system, bring in uh, the different carriers frequencies into the building, and then manage that system for the building owner. Uh, th- that notion of neutral host is really being extended into um, private network applications, and uh, ultimately there may be pieces of of what uh, neutral host operators like tower companies or other infrastructure companies can do with the uh, mobile carriers themselves as they look to reduce their investments in the network and and become more efficient in operating them. So it should be a good session. We're looking forward to it. Uh, We've had our our prep call with our panelists and they they have some great ideas. So um, we look forward to, as Jim said, to to seeing old friends and and associates again after uh, a a bit of an absence, but, um, yeah, 8.30 Wednesday morning, bright and early. Uh, um, we're ready to go. All right. Thank you all. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review. For a complete rundown, check out our Saturday edition. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.